he waited. He always waited for people to finish what they were saying. Finally, the new driver went on. Don't worry, kiddo, we have a code. It's called the code of the road. The truck driver looked out at this great country of ours, God's country, half civilized, full of bad guys and wild Indians, and he saw that a code was needed because the roads were lawless and new. And this was where the truck driver spent his life. You can't work in a place without rules. Day after day in a wild, backstabbing place. Not all truck drivers are good, but a good one follows the code. We help each other and we help other folks. We give rides and we don't ask questions. David Solner, in his novel, A Place to Hide. Welcome to Delmarva Today. I'm your host, Harold Wilson. David Solner is an accomplished poet with four poetry collections and poetry published in a number of literary journals including three editions of the Delmarva Review. He has received numerous poetry prizes and awards, and his work has been read by Garrison Keeler on Writer's Almanac. A Place to Hide is David Solner's first novel. David, welcome to Delmarva today. Thank you, Harold. I'm very pleased to be here. I really well, appreciate this opportunity. Well, I'm very pleased to have you here, David. Thank you. You're, you're an award-winning and nationally recognized poet. I've read your work in the Delmarva Review, and frankly, it's outstanding. What led you to kind of shift gears and write a novel, and and why this novel in particular? Well, that's that's a good question, and it 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 was a shift that occurred fairly naturally without me really thinking about it too much. But in looking back, I think that um, what what led to it was the fact that um, I, um, as a poet. Uh, and an industrial worker, uh, someone who's worked in iron ore mines and places like that all over the country, I thought I was a good person to tell the story of the people who built the Holland Tunnel, the Sandhog laborers. And uh, I could say, I, I, I we'll get a chance to discuss more about um, their lives and what was going on at the time. But I'll just say one other thing about the shift from poetry to uh, fiction. The fact that as as I sat in lunchrooms um, from Minnesota to Arizona to um, West Virginia, Maryland, I thought about the richness of the way ordinary working people express themselves 
um, their camaraderie. And that led me to think a lot about characterization, how you develop characters. And really, to do that in a more extensive way, you have to go into fiction from poetry. So I think that's another thing that, that led me in that direction. You were a mine worker and uh, you worked with your with your hands, I understand. How did you get into that kind of uh, work, David? How did, is that where you began as a uh, as a mine worker? Not not exactly. When I finished my academic training, that the only thing that it had prepared me for was to be a teacher. And I didn't know enough about anything. I couldn't imagine standing in front of a classroom. That idea terrified me because I didn't know the first thing about life. So I just kind of fell into a life of labor. And that's that's one side of it. So uh, where did you begin? You, you finished your academic work and then where did you go to work? How did you get into uh, the life of labor? I was also, uh, like many other people at that time uh, in the anti anti-war movement. And I thought that um, from, uh, going from there forward, um, if I wanted to find out about society, I would have to do something besides academia. I really appreciate uh, professors, people who have a grip on ordinary life, even though they really may not have experienced it, but I had to experience it firsthand. So that's really what I did. Where did you go to work first, David? Well, the, the first place of that sort that I worked at was um, as a casual laborer on the docks in San Francisco. Were, were you a um, uh, uh, like a, a hauler or a driver or uh, what did you do as a, as a laborer on the docks? I loaded coffee bags and hides. Um, I'm sure it's. I imagine that the um, the workers there have cleaned the job up a lot, but it was extremely uh, dangerous work at the time. Um, and uh, but um, I, I thought that see I have a, an appreciation. I, I think a lot of people are in the same situa situation um, that I'm in. That we have life experience that is discounted by really a learned elite um, that that don't look at the um, the issues of ordinary life, and yet. That's that's where the liveliness in our society comes from. It's it's people who uh, who are out there uh, working with each other, cleaning hotel rooms, um, uh, doing jobs like that, hourly work, um, servers in restaurants, and manual laborers uh, um, in the area that I live in, at chicken plants. I'm sure there's a whole world in the chicken processing facilities that we don't know anything about. Um, when you think about what I, I write about people overcoming divisions, supporting each other, um, rescues, and Herman Melville wrote about illiterate seamen, sailors before the mass, who 
performed heroic rescues. That's what kept Moby Dick alive. And so uh, I think it, it, it does come through in literature, this type of experience. And it's, it's what I aim to um, bring into the fiction that I write. Excellent, David. Thank you. Tell us about your novel. Uh, tell us about um, a place to hide and uh, and uh, how uh, James Little uh, seeks to to find a place to hide by changing his identity. Well, he, James Little is on the run and has to change his name to uh, Bill Waite. He's always looking over his shoulder. He, he was uh, framed up had a cool parole boss uh, with a hidden agenda and uh, had to escape. And I think, although I've never had the experience of um, uh, fleeing parole, most readers haven't, but we all have some ex an experience with some level of injustice. And so I, I, I think um, I wanted to be able to connect on that level. The other thing is, there's a great deal of talk today about the divisiveness in society, but I've seen people come together from different backgrounds, especially in the workplace, but also as neighbors. And I think um, I wanted to show people from vastly different backgrounds coming together. So the, the hero is, uh, is rescued. Actually, he finds shelter He's never known a Joe. He's from Montana. He's a copper miner from Montana. He's rescued and finds shelter among the first Jews he's ever known on the Lower East Side. This is the 1920s when the Lower East Side was the most crowded slum in the world, more crowded than uh, Shanghai or Calcutta. The Lower East Side was a very lively place too. Despite the poverty and misery, People were lively. A lot of uh, a lot of our language and jokes comes from the Yiddish of that time period. David, your own life uh, is reflected in the novel, or uh, was a lot of your uh, hands on your your work in the in the world of labor um, research for your writing? There isn't very much written about the Sandhog laborers who built the Holland Tunnel. And that's the work that um, is taken up in most of the book, or um, most of the, uh, the workplace scenes in the book. So um, I did have to uh, rely on my own experience to see through some of the um, versions of, of that story. You know, 100,000 cars a day pass the Holland Tunnel. And it is, to me, it's quite astounding that very little has been written about the people that actually built it. But anyway, you're, you're right. I did have to draw on my own work experiences, not so much for the concrete details, but just for the fact that, well, you know, there's there's a newspaper headline that um, the Sandhog laborers were lazy or that they, uh, they aren't accomplishing much in the tunnel, um, things like that. What, well, you know it's not true. Or the fact that very few people were injured in building the tunnel. 
that's one of the versions of the story that I read. I don't believe that. I don't believe that you're doing that type of work and people aren't injured. Anyway, that's that's leading on to a, a question that goes way beyond the, the novel itself. So I don't know if I've answered your questions, Harold, but well, I think that's uh, I, I think that's fine. And and you did mention that one of your concerns, and I think it shows up in the novel uh, almost as a theme uh, through the work, and that is people coming together and and people uh, helping each other. And I get the sense that you find in in the uh, in the sand hogs in the Holland Tunnel, for instance, and and in the mines. Now, uh, as a, as another example, that uh, this assistance and 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 of course the truck drivers, one that I that I read about in their code of the road to help to help each other. But this is almost um, a coming together by necessity that in order to survive and in order to get the job done, they have got to relate to each other in a, in a positive manner and in a helpful manner. Well, I think that phrase uh, invention, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. That's what you're talking about, right? It's true. And uh, we shouldn't dismiss the um, liveliness among people and the mutual support uh, just because it's necessary. Yeah, I mean, I, I consider myself extremely fortunate to have the work uh, background uh, that I do. And I had to do a, a great deal of, of research as well for this book and, and for what was going on in the 1920s. I think historical fiction should, should be accurate. The main lines of, of the main events should be recorded accurately. However, it obviously represents my own point of view. Um, and it also represents my take on what's happening in the world today. Well, I can certainly, I can certainly see that. But uh, of all the of all the choices, David, why uh, the 1920s? Why 1923? Uh, for an example, uh, for the setting for this novel? There, there had been a fugitives, uh, people who were trying to develop a union movement in the United States going into the First World War, and their movement was smashed, and, and they became fugitives, really, uh, some of them. And so I thought about that, and I also thought about the, the Lower East Side at that time would be a natural place where you would find refuge. And what, what was happening on the Lower East Side at that time? Well, on the other side of, that, of Manhattan Island, the Holland Tunnel was being built, and that was certainly a great historic thing to write about. So all of these things kind of pushed me little by little to... Uh, to adopt this story of a fugitive who escapes and is sheltered by the, the first Jews that he, he's ever known. This was also a, a fascinating time between the two wars. 
And what we had uh, in this in this era was significant prosperity at one level of society on the one hand, a lot of hopefulness about the future, and uh, we had the the flappers and uh, prohibition and the moonshine and 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 bathtub gin, but uh, you don't write about that world. You you write about uh, another world in in uh, the nineteen twenties, but it seems to me that uh, that 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 sense of hope, that sense of possibility, was shared by uh, the working, I, for lack of a better term, the laboring class of uh, of people. And I thought you caught that spirit in your characters uh, fairly well. Would, would you comment on that? Well, you know, ordinary people, uh, we don't give ourselves credit, but if we have to do something, we'll do it. And we, uh, we're a lively bunch. I don't think anybody can keep us down for, for very long. When uh, when the fugitive shows up in New York, he's really at a low point. And Virgil Pushkin Shulman takes him under his wing and basically provides him with a roadmap, a way forward. I could read that. Uh, I read a section from. Please from do. The book. If, okay, um, and l- let me just say that I would really, I, I, I would love to have new readers. I'd love to to hear from readers, and I'd be glad to let uh, people know with your, uh, if it's all right with you, Harold. I'll, I'll tell people how they can how they can get my book after reading this short passage. Sure. Uh, please, okay. uh, please well, do that. Let people know uh, how well, they can uh, get your book. Yes. Okay. Great. Great. Well, they can uh, they can get it on Amazon. Uh, they can get it on uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, Barnes and Noble bookstore um, in Salisbury can can get it, and you can get it from me personally, a, an autographed copy, and I'd be glad to be in touch with readers, um, and. The station will let you know my email address, but it's pretty simple, dcellner at Hotmail. Sure. In this passage, uh, Bill, the fugitive, has just shown up in New York. Uh, he doesn't have, doesn't have any money, doesn't have any place to stay. He's out on a, a, a new job, which is completely different, among people who have something in common. They're New Yorkers. They have things to talk about. He has nothing to talk about with them. Uh, if he opens his mouth, he'll reveal the fact that he's been a fugitive. He's been in prison for six years. So uh, he's, and he's, he's very hungry. It's lunchtime. He's been doing hard physical labor and he's extremely hungry. So he, uh, he gets a sandwich from a f- the, the uh, fellow next to him. My name's Virgil, the fellow says, Virgil Pushkin Shulman. My mother called me Virgil, 
but my wife says I'm pushy. Bill, wait. How easy it was to use that invented name. Virgil's eyes were examining him. Bill looked away because it could not be a good thing to let another man look at him like that, to give him the chance to look deeply into his eyes and learn certain things. Virgil Pushkin Shulman was Jewish. Bill guessed that without ever having known a Jew. He'd known of them in Butte, Montana, none before that, none growing up in Oklahoma. His teacher, an old German who'd served with distinction in the Union Army, had taught him that, that the Jews didn't kill Jesus, the Romans did. Bill didn't care if they did. The sandwich that Virgil gave him was pastrami. So that's when, that's when he meets Virgil for the first time. Virgil takes him under his wing and can, just is able to anticipate the fact that he's on the run and he gives him a, uh, uh, a place to hide. So that's the theme expressed again of people supporting each other and uh, recognizing uh, the needs that we have for uh, support from, from others. David, I found the last portion of your book. Uh, I found somewhat of a shift there. When, I, when your character, uh, when, when Bill has uh, had to leave New York and he is now uh, in the coal mines in Pennsylvania working because there was a threat uh, to his identity in New York. So he had to run again. I found a real shift there to a greater uh, revelation of Bill's anguish and his need uh, in, uh, in that last section. Would, would you say something about that? Don't, don't give us the ending clearly, but, but say something about that, about that last section, if you don't mind. I think it's the, he no longer really cares about his physical well-being because his whole life uh, has been ripped away from him. Uh, he's had to flee uh, New York. Has had, he's had to go around on the run again. He's had to abandon the family that he had, had come to love and, and rely on. He'd have to abandon his friendship with Virgil uh, to go on the run again. And so what he faces is something that we all face from time to time, some of us more than others, loneliness. It's really a, a very, a very terrible thing. Um, it can be worse than any, um, any physical harm. And at one point he, he thinks about committing suicide. And I'll just read a short thing about that. He, he'd never thought about suicide. What he felt at that moment as he was staring into the river uh, was pretty close an urge within him to embrace the chill of the water, to battle the depth and flow, to dive in and experience the tug of the current, rushing with unexpected power below the tranquil surface. 
to experience the helplessness of muscle and bone caught up in the unforgiving flow. How could awakening to the slap of time and loss not be a good thing? So that's how low he had sunk. Now, of course, he hasn't experienced the last of the rescues, so more happens from there. I shouldn't reveal too much, but, but you're right. There is a shift, and it goes from him developing this new life, experiencing the richness of the Lower East Side, distinguishing himself at work under the tunnel, his friendship. He falls in love with Hannah, a Jewish woman. They have a family. Then, then he has to experience loneliness, and it gets, and that's the shift that you're talking about when he really is uh, very close to suicide. Well, at this point, the shift in, in, in the novel, for me anyway, occurs uh, because uh, he makes a decision. And I'll let our readers find out, uh, uh, the readers of your book find out what that decision is. But he makes a decision that for me really reveals the depth of his humanness and, and his, his human uh, need. And I think you do a wonderful job of, uh, of bringing that out. David, you are a really a, a magnificent poet. How did you call on your uh, poetic uh, talent and sensitivity in, in the writing of this novel? Well, it uh, was a, wanting to honor the people that I was writing about. Um, I, in my poetry, I, I wrote about the people I knew, um, the things I did and the workplaces. And I wanted to honor that in a more extensive way uh, by writing, uh, writing a novel and developing the characters. So I, I guess that's how I, I drew on the, uh, on the po poetic sense. We all have, have poetry in us, and sometimes we're sort of lulled to sleep by the news into thinking, oh, those people, they're just, they're just numbers. You know, they're just ciphers in a, in a society, a mass society. But we all have poetry in us. We all have that richness. We all have the sense of humor that we're never given credit for. Um, so that's what I wanted to, to bring to this novel. Well, I believe uh, you brought that. What are you working on now, uh, David? What's next? Well, uh, I think I'll, I'll work on another historical fiction, and I'm not sure exactly where I'm going to go with it. Okay. Um, so I, I can't say too much there. If right. I uh, started talking about an undeveloped idea, it would certainly remain undeveloped. No, I think that's usually say, the case. But, but I, also, I still write poetry, too. But it will be a novel. Well, uh, it'll be a novel, but I think I'll have another uh, book of poetry coming out, too. Wonderful. Um, oh, that's wonderful. Well, David Salner, th thank you for joining me on Delmarva today. Well, your, your 
a wonderful poet and writer. And I encourage our listeners to uh, read your novel, A Place to Hide. And I want to thank all of you for listening. I'm your host, Harold Wilson. <laughs>